there, and welcome to a bonus episode of Even If. We are taking a break from our regular episodes this month and answering all the questions you submitted and you asked some good ones. So we are talking Imogen's birth story, stillbirth and what that means, and our grief journey over the past year. Thanks so much for listening in. I am so excited about today's episode for two reasons. First, because all of the content was generated by you guys. I put up a quick ask on Instagram a few weeks ago to see if you had questions about our story or about stillbirth in general or about Imogen's life. And guys, I was blown away by your response. You sent in more than 70 questions. Don't worry, we're not answering them all today, but they're just so thoughtful and insightful. And the second reason I'm so excited is because my husband, Peter, is joining me today to answer these questions. And Peter records and edits all these episodes, so he is super involved in Even If, but it's usually behind the scenes. And you don't get to hear from him directly. And so today, you get to hear his voice and his perspective on this season of our life, babe. I'm so glad you're here. Glad to be here with the Even If crowd. (laughs) Well, we had so many questions submitted that we've tried to categorize them by topic, and overwhelmingly, people wanted to know basically just what happened. You wanted to know, how do we find out what happened next? What was our delivery like? Do we know what caused her heart to stop beating? Just some of those practical questions, and so that's really what we are focusing on today, the story of her birth and what happened. And then the next most common question was about our grief journey, and so that's what we're talking about on the next episode. But for those of you that are just joining us today, just finding the podcast, a little backstory. Our first child, Imogen, was stillborn on June 14th of 2019. And so today we're sharing her birth story. And first and foremost, that's what it is. This is a birth story because her birth was beautiful and intimate and special and so meaningful to us. And I think that's a common misconception with stillbirth is that we don't think about the fact that you have delivered a baby. We think somehow magically it just kind of like the pregnancy ends or goes away or something. But parents who've who've given birth to stillborn babies oftentimes do want to share the story and want to acknowledge that significant moment in their lives and in their journey. But this is also the story of her death. And so just a caveat here We're at a place in our grief journey where we can talk openly about what happened, but if that would be triggering to you, then you can decide whether now is the right time to listen to the story or not. So one of the questions we got just simply asked, when did we realize that Imogen wasn't going to make it? When did we realize something was wrong? And I think that's a really important place to start because we were 41 weeks pregnant. We were a week past our due date and we were full-on ready to deliver a baby and bring a baby home from the hospital, as ready as you can be with your first child. All the preparations were in place. The car seat was in. Crib was put together in the bedroom. Everything was kind of ready to go, just waiting for Imogen to come home to us. Yeah, we were, I was like feeling every single twinge or ache, like, is this it? We were on full alert. We'd been to the doctor on Tuesday. Yep. And we're planning to induce the next week on Monday. But on Thursday morning when we woke up, I realized Imogen wasn't moving like she normally did. She actually wasn't moving at all, actually. And that's when we started to just think, hmm, that doesn't feel right. Something feels off. So Yeah, and you kind of go through the standards of 
putting something cold on your skin and eating some sugar and trying to be still and yeah, I did point. all the things that they tell you to try and she still wasn't moving. And so that's when we called the doctor and they asked us to come in and we were riding in the car on the way to the doctor and had this conversation where we really were like, they're going to laugh at us and send us home. They're going to be like first time parents, like worried about everything. And we just kind of thought, we said out loud, that would be best case scenario, that they look at us and roll their eyes and are like, oh, seriously, just go home and wait until you actually go into labor. But we got to the doctor's office. We got office. to the doctor's office and they took us back to an exam room. We checked us in, did everything. and We did Doppler in the exam room. They were having trouble finding a heartbeat. And mm -hmm. it wasn't unusual with Doppler. Imogen flipped around a lot, and sometimes it was hard to get her in the same position that we needed her in for a good Doppler. So we were there for a little bit without a heartbeat, and they took us down to ultrasound at that point. Yeah, so they asked us to come down to the ultrasound room, and honestly, I still wasn't even really concerned at that moment because... It just wasn't on our radar that something this serious could go wrong. We didn't know this happened. We didn't know that we needed to be concerned about this. So they took us to the ultrasound room and we were with a physician's assistant. So the PA was, was checking things. And when they pulled her up on the screen, I realized I couldn't see a heartbeat. And at that point in our pregnancy, I was pretty used to being able to see that flashing heartbeat, even if they didn't have the sound on. And so I just asked the PA, I said, but you're not seeing a heartbeat because she was hesitant to confirm anything. And finally she said, I'm not seeing a heartbeat. And at that moment, I just started calling out to Jesus. I just started, I, all I could say was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the PA said, don't go there yet. And she meant that she hadn't actually confirmed anything yet. But I just remember thinking, what do you mean? When else would I go here? Like, this is the moment to be crying out to Jesus. And where else should I go right now? Like, there is no other option right now except to cry out to Jesus. And so the PA left the room to go get the OB. And that's when Peter and I just started praying and texted family and just asked them to pray. They didn't know what was going on, but asked them to pray. And we're just begging God to restore Imogen's heartbeat when the OB came back. But the OB came in, she checked things out, and she's the one that confirmed that there wasn't a heartbeat. And when, you, when your baby dies in the womb, one of the hard things is that they won't use that language if you've experienced pregnancy loss at any stage, you've heard those words. And there's something about the fact that she wouldn't just use the language. All she would tell us is that there wasn't a heartbeat. And so I finally just asked, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And she started to realize that I was just asking practically what's next? What does this mean? Because I am sitting here on the table with a nine, 10 month at this point, pregnant belly, you know, baby, what do we do? And the OB said, we'll send you to the hospital and they will induce your labor. And that's when I realized that we still had to deliver this baby. 
And it's not that I didn't think we would have to. I just had never thought about it. I just had never thought about what would happen. And so I guess somewhere subconsciously, I was just assuming, like, I guess they'll just do a C-section or they'll just do surgery or, you know, they'll, they'll do something. And I realized we still had to go through labor and delivery to deliver Imogen into the world. So they sent us home for a little bit, and then we got called into the hospital. Uh, they checked us into our room, got us settled kind of away from other patients and on a quiet hall. Um, yeah, it, the hospital was really great about that. Yeah, and it's typically customary that they, they would move us rooms mm-hmm. after birth. And so we kind of asked some of those questions, and they confirmed that we would stay in the same room. So we kind of settled in. Lots of family and friends around at that point. Yeah, we had, I mean, we had doctors, midwives, nurses, the chaplain. We had the, like, people from the support groups at the hospital. And then we had family members and friends there. And this was the opposite of the birth experience we had planned. Like, it was going to be me and Peter and essential personnel. And instead, it was like a revolving door of people coming in and out. Just like a... Everybody was there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just one of many things that played out a little bit differently. And through that, like, in that time, there were a lot of conversations that you just don't expect to have as a part of your birth story. Um, people coming in and advising on or asking the questions of these are things you're going to have to make decisions about mm-hmm. in the next 24 hours. These are things you're going to have to think about. Um, do you have a funeral home that you work with? Do you no. want an autopsy? <laughs> um, the, uh, just some of those things, cremation, burial, uh, a lot of decisions that you're making in a very, very finite amount of time. Yeah. At this point they had induced my labor. So we had started, you know, I'd taken the medicine to induce labor and so my body is physically like preparing to give birth, which would be this, you know, normally bringing forth life at the same time that we're having all of these conversations about death. And these weren't questions that Peter and I had ever considered. So we didn't know what we thought about all of these things. No, we didn't have a funeral home that we worked with. We Do we want an autopsy or not? I don't know. Like just the, the tension of preparing for life and and death honestly in these same moments was huge the the disconnect in those two things so my labor started progressing contractions are getting closer and closer together and i had hoped and, and planned to have an unmedicated delivery that's what we were hoping for and that was actually one of the pieces that was really hard to let go of in this process because I still got to make that choice. You know, there were a lot of things we didn't have a choice about, but I still got to decide how labor was going to proceed. So I had a really hard time letting go of our hopes and our plan for this unmedicated delivery. So we started labor with no medication, no pain medication. And throughout the night, contractions started picking up. And at this point, we are like using every bit of coping mechanism we have learned, every bit of breathing technique and focusing our minds and all this stuff. And playlist and everything. Yeah, the playlist we've created. 
and contractions are getting to be like maybe 60 to 90 seconds apart at this point and they're they're pretty intense and at that point the hospital comes in and tells us that we actually have to move rooms and at this point we had full-on moved in to this hospital room because they told us we weren't going to move the entire time we were in the hospital so we have unpacked and settled in and all of a sudden they're like, no, you're actually going to have to move to a different room. And it's 3 a.m. Yeah, it's the <laughs> middle of the night. And so Peter starts like frantically packing our stuff back. They brought us a cart. He's throwing it on the cart. You're in between contractions. Yeah. Uh, you have 30 seconds here, 90 seconds there. Yeah, I'm Get literally like, here. I'm like, Peter, you've got 60 seconds and you better be back. So you pack as much as you can in that time, but you better be back by the time this next contraction hits. So he's getting us packed up. And when we finally get packed up, I'm like, okay, this is the window. They've told us we have to move. We have to go now because I'm not waiting until this gets any worse or any closer together. So I decide one contraction ends and I am like taking off. And they're like, we'll get you a wheelchair. We're nope, you're down the hall. Nope, I'm halfway <laughs> down the hall at this point. I'm bent over. I can't even stand up straight. Hospital gown wide open, and they're trying to keep up. And I'm like, you better point me to the room because all I know is that I better be to the bed before the next contraction hits. And so we make it to the other room. And shortly after we got there, that's when we decided it was time to get an epidural. The My contractions were just so intense at that point, all back labor, all in my back. And ultimately, I realized there was no longer really a medical reason to avoid an epidural. And I was just getting exhausted from managing the pain physically, mentally, emotionally. I was not in the headspace to manage that. And I didn't want to be completely spent when Imogen was born because we knew we were going to have such a limited amount of time with her. I didn't want to be exhausted. So took a little while, but we got the epidural and that's when finally I was able to sleep and yeah, and we rest. got some rest for a little while and slept and then kind of woke up a little bit rested and started yeah. into the day. Yeah, so my family had been there since the night before, but Peter's family got there. And so we had friends and family um, in and out of the room until it was time to deliver. And at that point, we got everyone out of the room and turned on, turned up this playlist that we'd created. It had been on throughout the day, but turned it up. And Peter and I just had some sweet moments in worship, the two of us, because we had been praying the entire time since we'd gotten the news for God to restore Imogen's heartbeat. And I mean, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that that's what this podcast is based on, is the fact that when we were in the hospital God gave us the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And there was a moment when they looked at King Nebuchadnezzar and they said, our God is able to deliver us from this fire and he will do it. But even if he doesn't, we will not worship your gods or bow before your idols. Even if he doesn't, he's still good. And so that's what we were holding on to. We were fixing our expectations on the fact that God was able to restore life, to make Imogen's heart start beating again, that no medical diagnosis limited what God could do in this situation. And so we were praying and asking God to restore her life. But we fixed our hearts on who he was, even if he didn't. 
we knew that God was good and we knew that God was worthy of our worship and we knew that we would not give our worship to anything else. And so we had a sweet time together listening to this music, worshiping and, and getting ready to deliver. And so we got in position and I think I pushed for maybe two, two contractions. Yeah. If that, it wasn't long at all. We didn't push very long at all. And then she was here and we weren't sure what to expect in that moment. We, we didn't know what we were going to feel. We didn't know what it was going to be like given the situation. But the moment they handed our baby to us, we were just overcome with love and overcome with pride. I was just overcome with pride that this was our daughter and she was so beautiful and so perfect. And I just couldn't stop staring at her and couldn't stop telling her how much we loved her and how thankful we were that she was our daughter. So we spent some time with her that way. And then I just tapped my finger on her chest for, it felt like forever, just asking God to let our heart start beating again. And after a while, it, it hadn't. And so at that point, Peter got to take her. Yeah, I took her and I we did a bath. And there's something beautiful about bathing your child and we did a lot of kind of the memento things that you do when you have a newborn baby we did a lock of hair we did footprints we did handprints and we kind of approached it from this say yes to anything mentality of we can pick and choose what we hold on to later but in today's moment this is the only time we can gather things. And so holding her, having her, getting photos with her, Mm -hmm. getting photos of her, getting handprints, footprints, all of the different things that kind of connect her. Yeah. And all those things that you would normally do with a newborn baby. And I, I think that kind of caught us off guard we just didn't know. And when we realized on one hand, her delivery on one hand was like very normal. Like we delivered her, we held her, we loved her, we talked to her, we bathed her, we did all those normal things. Yeah. But also we knew that the time that we had with her was all we were ever going to get. And so I think we were just very aware the whole time we were in the hospital that this was it. This was everything we wanted with her and for her. We had to pack into that period of time. Yeah. And just finding ways to care for her Mm. in those moments and love on her in those moments in that short period of time that we had with her was so important to us. Yeah. There were a lot of ways. Like we were very protective of her. We were actually the only ones that held her. Peter and I were the only Uh ones. And there were a lot of reasons for that, but those kind of parental instincts still kick in where you want to protect her and you want to um, take care of her uh, as much as you can in the time that you have. But family and friends did come and meet her. We had family that were there, many of them in person, other people, you know, FaceTimed in and yep. a couple close friends. We had a baptism. Mm-hmm. 
a baptism service for her in the hospital room. Yeah. Yeah. Several of you asked, you know, how much time we actually got to spend with her. And we got a full 24 hours with Imogen after she was born. They, the hospital was great. She got to stay in our room that whole time. She was right there with us the entire time. And we got to keep her close as long as we wanted to. And I think people wonder about that as well. Like, do they whisk the baby away right away? Do you get to see them? Do you get to hold them? And we got to experience everything we wanted to with her um, that was possible in that time. And Lindsay asked, what did you talk with her about? What did you tell her in that time? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much talking I did outside of just speaking over her, how beautiful she was and how wonderful she was. We spent a lot of time talking about her features. I mean, mm. much like you do with a newborn, you you kind of... She has your hair and your eyes and my lips and your skin and my this and that and and just kind of talking through that and and taking in her features. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, I know I held her and danced with her mm-hmm. and we listened to music and just you're packing in all of those moments that you want for a lifetime into such a short period of time. Yeah. Those were some of my favorite moments. And and I have pictures of the time that Peter got to spend holding her and being her dad. And we had said throughout her pregnancy, one of the phrases that we used was that we couldn't wait to love her with our eyes because we just wanted to see her. We wanted her to be here. And so, so much of her time in the hospital was us just staring at her and taking her in and marveling over our baby, our child. And I just kept telling her um, how thankful I was that she was our daughter and how thankful I was for every single moment that we had gotten to have with her and I wouldn't have traded a minute of that for anything. Even knowing how things ended, I would not have traded the pregnancy and the time that I got to spend with her, the 41 weeks that she was alive and moving inside of me. So I spent a lot of time telling her those things. And that actually brings me to the next question. Someone asked, did you have her name picked out ahead of time or did you choose it when you saw her? Mm. And boy, choosing a name. Yeah, that was a process. It was, but we did pick it out ahead of time. Yep. We had been calling her by name for close to six months. Yeah. Uh, five or six months. And we hadn't shared her name with anybody else really until we started asking for prayer. Yeah. And that was really the point in time that we announced her name to family and friends. Yeah, we wanted them to be praying for her by name at that point. But her name is Imogen Dorothy Strife. And we always, Imogen and Dorothy always went together from the moment that we picked them because we loved Imogen for a lot of reasons. And then Dorothy is my grandmother's name. And together, those names mean our daughter is a gift from God. And we had wanted to mark her with our thankfulness from the moment that we picked her name. We just wanted that to be how we, how we named her 
And honestly, that was a place I really had to wrestle with the Lord after she died because, you know, we had even in, in selecting her name sought to demonstrate our thankfulness to God that she was this precious gift, this miraculous gift. We had tried to get pregnant for a while before we had gotten pregnant with Imogen. We weren't sure we were going to be able to. And so we wanted to acknowledge the gift that she was. And so when she died, I'm, I'm then, you know, asking the Lord, you let us mark her with thankfulness and acknowledge her as this gift, all the while knowing that we didn't get to keep her. And in some ways that just felt cruel. And coming to the, the recognition that for as long as we had her here on earth, she was a gift. And even now, while she lives on in heaven, she continues to be this gift that God has given us. And, and we know that and we believe that, but it took some wrestling, I think, to, to accept that from the Lord. Several of you asked if we know what happened, if we know what caused Imogen's death. And looking back, we do have a pretty clear picture of what caused her heart to stop beating. We didn't know anything beforehand. We didn't know anything leading up to to her birth, but when she was born, they saw that her umbilical cord was longer and thinner than it typically would have been, and it didn't have much of this substance called Wharton's jelly that typically fills the inside of the umbilical cord to protect the blood vessel and, and arteries that are going back and forth, and it helps keep them from getting pinched or cut off, but her cord didn't have that protective substance. And when she was born, the cord was wrapped around her neck twice. And that's not completely unusual. Babies are oftentimes born with what's called a nuchal cord. But in her case, the combination of the cord that was wrapped around her neck and the fact that it didn't have the protective jelly, they believe that the cord just got compressed and it cut off the blood flow. And blood, the blood flow between the mom and the baby is oxygenated. And so that's what actually keeps the baby alive is that blood flow. And when that got cut off, then they think her heart just stopped beating. And because the midwife, the doctor, like everyone, everyone agreed that that was a very likely cause of her death. And so we chose not to have an autopsy because we felt like we, we knew the reason and we didn't want to do that unnecessarily. And then we had to decide whether or not to cremate or bury her. Yeah. And we kind of knew, I think it was one of those decisions that didn't take a lot of conversation. Yeah. Um, fortunately. Fortunately. We, we agreed that w cremation was the way to go for us um, in being able to honor her and kind of weave her into our world um, and we've done that by spreading ashes near some family property in North Carolina where we On the travel and um, can be with her and near her as we uh, continue in our world. Yeah. Peter and I didn't, we didn't have to talk about it. We just were pretty much in agreement that that's what we wanted to do. And that was a gift because we didn't have to discuss it. We just knew that's what we wanted to do. We have shared a lot of pictures of Imogen. And so we'll wrap up with one last question for today. 
Leslie asked, do you have any pictures that you won't share? Yes. <laughs> we do, yeah. That's a really personal decision for people, whether or not they want to share any pictures at all. And a lot of families of stillborn babies choose different routes. We have chosen to share pictures because we're proud of her, because we think she's beautiful, because she's a part of our family and we want her to be represented in our family in the photos that you see and in, and how how people view our family. We want you to know she was real and she existed. And because people didn't get to meet her, sometimes it can feel like kind of a figment. And so we have chosen to share pictures, but we definitely have some that we will keep back because they're just really- just for us. Yeah, intimate, personal ways for us to remember her. Well, that just scratches the surface of the questions that you had. Don't worry if we didn't answer your question today, we do have another episode coming up where we'll talk more about our grief and how that's played out individually and together in our marriage, because there are so many questions about that. And we still have more questions that we'll get to in the future as well. If you have questions or want to connect further, you can always shoot me an email. My email is kelly at kellystrife.com. That's kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, at kellystrife, S-T-R-E-I-F as in Frank, F as in Frank.com. I would love to hear from you there and connect and answer any further questions.